0: The Big Bank's Theory. This is industry focused financials. Hello, everyone. Today is Monday, February 22nd, 2016. This is Gabby LePere in the studio. We recently decided to change things up on the Financials Edition, so we're having a rotating cast of analysts from now on. Um, Joining us this week is Jay Jenkins. Thank you very much for agreeing to this. Hey, hey,
1: Gabby. Glad to be here.
0: uh, I'm really excited to actually have you on. Um, Maybe you will be able to come up with more clever opening lines than me. I feel like... Big Banks Theory, like Big Bang, I thought it was funny in my head, and then I said it out loud, and I was like, oh, that was terrible.
1: Not the most glamorous niche.
0: (laughs) (laughs) No. um, But uh, this week, actually, um, we're kind of doing a listener question. I don't know what happened, but this guy uh, named Derek Stritzinger apparently read my mind and uh, wrote in about the exact topic that we kind of already had planned, which is um, whether or not to this is a good time to buy big banks like I don't know if you noticed Jay but the market has had kind of a rough start this year although it's kind of rebounding um so everything's just kind of on sale uh, even great companies just because the market as a whole is down so um the question like I said is is now a good time oh you know what I almost forgot actually it is 13f season and I bet 13f's would give us great insight onto well maybe some insight onto whether or not it's a good time to buy big banks right now did you did you uh, get a chance to look into those
1: yeah that was actually um, my first thought as we started talking about how we we're gonna approach this question uh, and so I went back reviewed oh, you know sorry maybe- I'm
0: just gonna interrupt you real quick actually um just for our listeners 13 F's uh, just in case you don't know are an SEC filing um, that institutional investors have to to file and that basically says what they're investing in and that's anyone from like hedge funds, to like big banks, to individual investors like Warren Buffett or Jamie Dimon. Sorry, continue.
1: Yeah, that's exactly right. Good explanation. So the the beauty of it, the value of it is that we can see what, you know, the quote unquote smart money uh, on Wall Street is doing. Uh, One of the downsides is that there is a delay. So, you know, the market, like you said, has been kind of crazy, you know, since January. Uh, And so we won't know how these big hedge funds have reacted to that until next quarter when they release their uh, first quarter 13Fs. Uh, so we are kind of looking in the rearview mirror a little bit with this. And and with that said, when I went back and looked at these large firms, you know, these sort of, if, if there is a household name of hedge funds, these are, the, these are the funds, there's really not a whole lot of unusual activity in the big bank space. Uh, you know, J.P. Morgan, Wells Fargo, Citigroup, Bank of America, all the usual suspects, these huge, huge mega cap banks, uh, they're the most widely owned uh, they are being traded. Some are buying. Some are selling. But there's really not a consensus. No large, you know, directional change uh, over the past year. Uh, so again, that doesn't really indicate one way or another. Uh, but I do always like to kind of check in on on what the the real big money, real smart investors are doing. And in this case, it, it's sort of treading treading water. Not really sinking, but not yeah. really floating any higher either.
0: Kind of just like a wait and see thus far. Anyway, yeah, exactly, exactly. Um, that's that's really interesting to me because I feel like big banks are in a far superior position in terms of stability than they were pre-financial crisis and the fed finally raised the interest rate which is good news for big banks um but i guess i mean i don't know i feel like the picture isn't so grim so like i don't know um from the surface it's kind of like oh why why wouldn't yeah, you invest yeah I, I totally right? agree with you it, uh, mm-hmm. it's
1: it's not the it's, it looks a lot better than it did you know say in, in 07 particularly than 08 and 09 uh certainly um, you know, rates have been low since then, and that's been a major drag on earnings. You know, when you're a bank and you're in the business of lending money, higher interest rates mean you know higher income. So as rates rise, that, that should be a uniformly positive thing, and especially so at the larger banks. You know, again, the mega banks in particular, uh, even larger regional banks like U.S. Bank Corp. or or PNC Financial, or even like bb t um, these banks have the sophistication where rising rates should translate pretty pretty strongly to to increased revenues, and that should that should drive higher earnings as well. Um, so from that perspective, you know, banks look to be on the cusp of a pretty nice jump. You know, if if, if they're valued now at say you know round numbers, ten times earnings, you know, and earnings double, uh, all things being equal, that should that should cause the stock price to rise as well. Right. Um, so
0: okay. So I guess the way to think about this, right? I mean, it's not just like should I buy a big bank now? That this is the Motley Fool. We're never going to tell you like yes or no. Right? We're going to we're going to tell you um here are strategies for looking through a really big bank's incredibly complicated 10Q to pull out the data that you need. So, I think we've kind of got to start here. Um I think that the best way to structure this uh just to preface this Jay, I don't know if you know this about Beam up, but my mother is a life coach. And I was her little guinea pig growing up. Um, so pro con lists were huge in my household. And in order to make any decision, um, uh, shout out to mom. Thanks for thanks for doing a great job raising me. I think anyway, personally. Um, so why don't we di- kind of do like a pro? So like what what's looking good for banks right now? Like what kind of metrics do we look at that look good for banks right now?
1: Well, you know, the first thing that comes to mind is not, I don't know if it's really a pro, but it's just sort of an interesting uh, time to be in a, investing in banks. Is bank stocks are like pretty daggone cheap right now. Uh, typically, you value banks based on uh, a price to book ratio or or by earnings, uh, price to earnings ratio. And, and by both counts, the big banks are cheap. I mean, as we're recording this, Citigroup is trading at uh, about 55% of book value. Well, Far- uh, I'm sorry, Bank of America is even cheaper than that. Uh, JP Morgan's trading less than one to one. Only Wells Fargo of the mega banks is, is above one to one, and that's because their their earnings are always so strong, um, and they d- they do such a good job operationally. So valuation wise, big banks are, are definitely cheap. Uh, the regional banks are also kind of cheap right now too, but tend to be a little bit higher. bb is trading just over one times price to book value. PNC slightly below, uh, and then Huntington Bank shares another kind of. Uh, what I look at as a bellwether of the regional banks uh, is trading at about one point one times price to book ratio uh, now in the in the good times you know you can see these ratios get up a size you know two one point eight two times some some banks even trade even higher uh, so kind of with that longer term historical perspective, now it looks like an okay time only because the the valuation multiples are so cheap
0: and it's i don't think it's because there's anything necessarily wrong with Any of these businesses, because I think like the first thing a lot of people say to themselves is like, oh, the market's valuing it cheaply. But um, I think ultimately, while a market will eventually like is eventually efficient in coming to terms with what a company's price is, I think in like really short term moments like this, it's really hard to just look at a valuation and be like, you know, that valuation definitely says a lot about what's going on. You know what I mean? It's kind of more of an average is what you want to look at.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And you know, with the market being so so crazy so far this year, is you know, JP Morgan really worth 15% less today than it was, you know, 2 or 3 months ago? I mean, no, it's, nothing really has fundamentally changed. It's people are just reacting and trying to make sense of it and and that's like you say that's our kind of short-term opportunity. Now, the you know, there's a reason that that banks are are trading so low. You know, there's everything has a has a cause and effect, and I'm sure we'll get a, get into the headwinds a little bit later. Um but, yeah, but by and large, banks are pretty cheap right now. yeah, even on the price to earnings perspective, you know looking at uh, on a Ford basis, uh, Wells Fargo's trading just under eleven times Ford earnings, uh, you know JP Morgan at nine point3 times. I mean again, these these are not expensive. and you look at the chart and it's come down since you know middle of last year, but not you know crazily so, you know, while they were maybe at like 10, 11, 12 times uh, back in you know July, September. You know, just to drop, you know, one, one or two point, or you know, from ten to nine, or from eleven to, to ten, that's not a that's not a gigantic drop in terms of earnings. Uh, so, so the market recognizes that these earnings are real. The banks are safer. You know, like you said earlier, too, go back to before the financial crisis. These banks are better capitalized. Uh, there's less risk. Uh, they're delevered. All these things are really positive. So that if there is, you know, kind of some sort of I don't want to say crises, but some sort of like significant headwind, like a recession, or even just kind of a, a correction in the market. Fundamentally, these banks are much stronger and, and should come out of this much cleaner, uh, you know, than we saw in oh eight oh nine, uh, and even in like two thousand ten and two thousand eleven, uh, where you know Bank of America had such a tough time.
0: Yeah, well, that was mostly because of legal fees, and they've put a lot of that behind themselves, um, which which opens the door for them to profit because instead of paying out because they've lost legal battles or because they don't want to continue them anymore and they just want to pay people to go away, they're going to be able to use that money to reinvest in themselves.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And Bank of America is a great example. Like you say, you know, they traded down, I want to say it was almost like 0.25 times tangible book value at the nadir of that, that whole thing. And now, I mean, Moynihan's done, a, their CEO, Brian Moynihan, has done just such a fantastic job putting all of that rep and warranty risk behind them. I mean, that's, that's done. It's over with. Uh, and he, he successfully finished the uh, project new BAC, their cost cutting initiative, uh, billions and billions of dollars in cost savings. So, you know, going forward, you know, major improvements, even, you know, even though there are uh, certainly some still some flaws and some problems that all of these banks have to deal with. But much different situation today uh, than in '08 or '09. So, you know, I, I see the, the risk, the downside is, is, I guess, in a better place now. So for the investor today, I guess that's less to worry about. There, there's no a generational kind of event, uh, at least as best as we can tell,
0: yeah, um I actually kind of want to get to back to something that I mentioned earlier, which is um the Fed raised the interest rate, right which is which is good for banks, right? Like they make more of a profit when interest rates are higher because the loans that they give out have higher interest rates. they make more money That's so right. what what kind of ratio what what ratio does that kind of display itself in? what does that mean for for big banks
1: sure so so with bank accounting it translates to a metric called the net interest margin or net interest uh, profit. And essentially what that is, it's the difference between what a bank brings in in interest revenue from like loans or debt securities and what it pays out uh, for its funding, whether that's you know, short-term loans with other banks or uh, larger, uh, a more significant contributor being like your deposit account. So like the zero point whatever percent you guys get on your, on your savings account. So the difference between those is, is kind of like equivalent to gross profit at a, at a more traditional, simple business model kind of thing. So as rates rise, the interest rate they're going to be able to charge on loans and get from debt securities is going to tend to rise faster than what they'll pay out for their funding and to deposit holders. So as that margin expands, it should correlate pretty directly to the bottom line, you know, because the banks are already operating, you know, the branch network. They have all the expenses. It's really a scalable kind of event. So it should have a pretty strong impact. Uh, relatively quickly. Now, the flip side, though, is the Fed has signaled that it's going to start raising rates, but it really looks like it's going to be a slow multiple quarter process. I mean, who knows when we'll get back to, you know, five, uh, you know, even six percent, uh, federal funds rate. If 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 we do during the cycle, we may we may not. Yeah, I think uh, it's like from,
0: it's like what at like zero point something right now. It's not yeah, even one. The funds rate is
1: zero point two five is the target. Yeah, uh, and it's trading. Actually, I think the actual effective rate is slightly higher than that by a few basis points right now. But you know, in the historical context, that that twenty five basis point change is it's next to nothing. I mean, it's it's hardly a blip on the radar screen. Uh, so while directionally it's good for the banks that rates seem to be about to rise, we've still got a long way to go for that. That it actually sort of materialize and to start seeing higher returns uh, from that revenue source. So, as a forward-looking investor, it's something good that we think is coming. But will it be this year? Will it be next year? Will it be three years? It's it's pretty hard to say.
0: Right. So, I feel like we've we've kind of done the pros. Do you want to kind of get into the into the cons a little bit?
1: Sure, sure. So, a lot of the the things we talked about as positives, I, I kind of the reasons. The world has, you know, the banks are, are trading cheap, for example. So we, we like the future of banks because of rising interest rates. Well, why doesn't the rest of the market recognize that? Why aren't the valuations going higher? And and I think it also comes back to kind of what we talked about, the, the new world post-financial crisis. I mean, a lot of this comes back to regulations. Uh, J.P. Morgan is a great example. Uh, J.P. Morgan is classified at the, the most systemically important tier of the new global uh, systemically important financial institution uh, capital requirement regulatory regime mm-hmm. uh, you know it's a it's a mouthful and it's you know pure regulatory jargon but at the bottom line means JP Morgan and also other large banks have to carry more capital on their books than they ever have before and that means they can't lever up as much so your return on equity is going to be lower return on assets are going to be harder uh, it's going to be harder to generate the same earnings per share as it was before you know just because you can't juice it when you're you're sitting on such an extra capital buffer that money's got to sit aside Rather than actually be, you know, put to work to, to benefit shareholders, um, banks with simpler business models don't don't have this problem quite as much. Uh, think U.S.B. Uh, U.S. Bank Corp. or Wells Fargo are, are great examples of that. Uh, they're not as global. They don't get into all the crazy investment banking stuff that J.P. Morgan or Goldman Sachs, uh, some of these other banks do. So for these guys, they don't have that same extra capital buffer requirement.
0: And but uh, they do they do still have more than they used to, um, which I think absolutely. is important to point out. Like pre-financial crisis they weren't required i mean like now the federal government tells these banks whether or not they can even pay out a dividend that quarter
1: yeah totally the the basal accords that are, are being unfolded is causing you know rising tide lifts all boats and in this case that rising tide is, is just more capital for all banks um, yeah and then on top of Basel three dodd frank is also having some major implications in terms of capital uh, but also you know in terms of costs um, While net interest margins, we hope, are going to be expanding since the financial crisis, big banks have really struggled uh, to overcome some of the cost burdens of dealing with uh, Dodd Frank and and putting in the systems and bringing in the people to to kind of manage this whole gigantic transformation across the whole industry. I've got an example for you on this. MT Bank uh, is a very high performing regional bank in the Northeast of the U.S., but headquartered in Buffalo. I mean, over the last 30 years, I challenge you to find a bank that's done, done better for shareholders than m and I don't think one exists. But for the last three years, the bank was handcuffed uh, trying to acquire uh, Hudson City Bank Corp., which was you know maybe 25% the size of M&T Bank at the time. Regulators wouldn't let it go through. The only way they got approval, which just happened a few months ago, was by spending literally nine-figure sums of money to completely revamp their regulatory compliance oh, program.
0: I remember this. This was was this the one where there was um like a woman and I think it might have been Maryland where she uh, was laundering money and they like didn't notice for like a year.
1: Absolutely, it's it's the a m the anti money laundering and compliance yeah. is really where they got beat up. Uh, you know, and it's the kind of thing too from a consumer perspective. The bank needed to do a better job, but from an investor perspective, I mean, we're talking hundreds of millions of dollars over multiple years. Uh, I mean, the bank's profitability suffered. Their efficiency went just tear. I mean, it tanked. It was it was an ugly scene, and uh, it, the banks only just now come through it. You can this is happening all over the country at every different bank. Maybe not on the scale, you know. Maybe not you know the headline grabbing you know hundred and twenty odd million dollars that they had to put into it. But but small banks, large banks, medium banks, compliance departments are growing. These systems are complex. It takes a lot of resources, a lot of money to handle it. So. You know, that's a real significant headwind and that's that's kind of and that's not going away you know for for investors today and for investors tomorrow that's that's a reality of 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 yeah. you know being in the big bank business
0: that's definitely created some like very interesting currents within the banking industry too um if you look at the um the The Federal Reserve has a kind of like they release reports periodically, and you can see that the number of banks in the country has decreased over time, and like pretty pretty drastically. Not surprisingly, after the financial crisis, a lot of smaller banks got eaten up by big banks, Um, and part of it was the regulatory requirements were were much more stringent, and small banks just didn't have the capital to invest in themselves to like get there.
1: Absolutely, for the kind of community bank niche, uh, you know, less than ten billion dollars in total assets group. A lot of these banks are looking at it, going, "We have to, we have to merge to get to that ten billion, five to ten billion point, just to be able to absorb the cost at scale and still provide, you know, the kind of shareholder returns that that people have expected. You know, they want to pay out a reasonable dividend. These banks want to buy back shares. They want to, you know, post strong earnings and grow. Um, Yeah, and and it's just, it's for a lot of small banks, it's too much.
0: Yeah, I'm sorry. I kind of diverted the conversation into small banks. Um, But um, I know you love small banks. I'm sure it wasn't a problem for you. But um, let's actually kind of flip it to the other side, which is uh, big banks like right now in politics, it's kind of a hot button issue, right? Like everything from Hillary Clinton's JP Morgan speeches, um, which she hasn't isn't releasing the transcripts to to Bernie Sanders saying, like, I want to break up the big banks like that, I mean, that could be creating some kind of like headwind on these banks, don't you think?
1: Oh, absolutely. And and it's coming from, from both sides of the political the political spectrum, just in kind of subtly different ways. Um, and even, even some kind of neutral observers, uh, for example, Neil uh, Kashkari, who's the newest member of the Federal Reserve. He's the new chief in the Minneapolis Bank. He came out in his very first speech in that position, which is a non-voting position. So he doesn't have that much influence over policy decisions at this present time. But but it's still pretty significant, given given that he's a Fed Fed president. Anyway, he came out and said, pretty much specifically, that the whole industry needs to be transformed. Bold changes, bold new rules. Force these banks to be broken up. You know, that's a dramatic change. I mean, go back to like Teddy Roosevelt 100 years ago. You know, when the last time we kind of saw some of these, uh, you know, populist calls to kind of shrink corporate interests. Now, will that happen? Who knows? I don't have a clue. But, but what it certainly does is creates uncertainty for investors, and that uncertainty is a major headwind. You know, you're going to invest your dollar into an asset, into this stock, and you want to have some sort of reasonable expectation for what you're going to get next year, two years, five years, ten years down the road. And when you have major political figures at the Fed uh, and, and potentially in the White House, uh, anywhere else, that really, really kind of puts a question mark over what's going to happen. And that that's driving, I think, uh, uncertainty and and reducing valuations as well. So yeah. just yet another headwind, kind yeah. of from something external to you know fundamental bank operations.
0: Right. Not only that, but like the the global economic situation is super uncertain right now between China and Europe, um, and especially with like these global investment banks. And oh, and oil. Don't forget oil. Um, it's it, it it is. It makes it a lot more complicated. However, all of these things, like put together. That's part of the reason that the valuations are so cheap right now. And if you fundamentally believe in the business models of these big banks, which I don't think there's any reason not to. Like if you look at their if you look at their fundamentals, they're doing fairly well like considering how much like regulatory um money that they've had to spend um like how the depressed interest rate environment has affected them. I think that these banks are really doing a lot better than I would have thought. <laughs>
1: I, you know, I totally agree. And to me, it boils down to this, the issue of of quality. You know, if you can find a bank that's just a really quality operation that's just rock solid fundamentally, those banks are going to do better in good times and bad. You can ignore a lot of these external factors. You know, if yeah. you invest for five years, you know, one or two quarters today is is kind of insignificant. You know, in a lot of ways, so you don't have to worry about that. You know, banking will, is not going anywhere. People will you know need somewhere to deposit their cash. People will need help with their financials. You know, people do need loans you know the people want to own houses and in America the mortgage loan is is the most common way to get to accomplish that so in terms of quality to me I look at JP Morgan and if I encourage you guys to go look at JP Morgan's annual report uh, or I'm sorry fourth quarter and full year results and there's a chart in in some of their material to uh, for investors that shows earning per share growth over the past ten years essentially since Jamie Diamond took over and it is just the most beautiful linear chart straight up <laughs> Barely a hiccup for the financial crisis. It's remarkable when you think about all the changes, all the stuff that's happened, just the chaos, you know, between, say, 2005 and today. And it's just absolutely remarkable how consistent and how uh, profitable that, that company really is. And, you know, you, in that context, you understand why Jamie Dimon was willing to, you know, plop down $25 million or whatever it was uh, to buy J.P. Morgan shares last month or this month earlier really this month. Um, yeah. You look at that chart in that context. I mean, it's going from the lower left to the upper right, just like clockwork. So, uh, and to me, that that stems from the quality. It, it's the operational uh, excellence, uh, the fortress balance sheet, and all these things. And, and of course, Diamond I think is a, a fantastic banker and, and deserves a lot of credit there too. But.
0: Yeah, um, I mean, for me, it's uh, it's U.S. Bancorp. <laughs> Out yeah,
1: great bank. I mean, it's unbelievable. Yeah. It's the such a simple business model. The efficiency ratio for
0: them is insane compared to all the other big banks. Like I think it's somewhere in either the high 40s or very low 50s. Which com- I don't. I think the next closest one is Wells, um, and that's that's a that's a huge thing. And it is you're right, a very simple business model and. I know all banks say this, but they actually are fairly conservative underwriters. Like they do a really, really good job of um, making sure their balance sheet is in check.
1: I totally agree, and it's it's amazing they can do it at the size. You know, they're they're uh, huge. uh, uh, Yeah, several hundred, almost a trillion dollars in total assets uh, at this point. And and the Wells Fargo is in that same sort of mold. Very conservative, ruthlessly efficient on costs. Uh, Credit quality is always paramount. And it, and it works. You know, it, it speaks to that, like you said, quality.
0: All right. Um, we are running out of time, slash, have already run out of time. Um, thank you very much for joining us. Uh, as usual, people on the program may have interest in the stocks they talk about, and The Motley Fool may have recommendations for or against, so don't buy yourself stocks based solely on what you hear. Contact us at industryfocus@fool.com or by tweeting us at mfindustryfocus. Um, Let us know if you have any questions or what your favorite bank stock is. Uh, Thanks very much, Jay, and we'll see you all next week.